What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, February 8th, 2022, and this week's episode, UFC 271, A Tale of Two Kings. We'll recap the latest in MMA action, UFC Vegas 47, and the middleweight fight between Jack Hermanson and Sean Strickland. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. The Ultimate Fighter is official, and it's going to feature the big women's bantamweight rematch. Finally, we will go on to talk about UFC 271, the middleweight championship this time on the line between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker for the second time, and the heavyweight party between Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa. So stay tuned. We have a very big show. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Valentine's Day is nearly upon us. Do you have your cards ready to go? Ready to send them out? <laughs> you know what? I don't need cards because I got <laughs> my one true love and I, you know, I look at him in the mirror every day <laughs> and I tell him how much I love him. <laughs> I look out for number one on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and, you know, if there's another person, I, you know, I lie to them and tell them they're number one, but I know it's me. It's no, you. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I make sure all the people I really care about um, get their acknowledgement how much they mean to me. Yes, I do. What about you? No, not at all. I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. I knew it. <laughs> you no, just tell I mean, your you tell your husband to make sure Joe, you know, gets you something. Yeah, yeah. Make sure I just make sure we have a, a cheesecake in the house, and then I tell everyone to leave me alone. Uh, no. <laughs> I like that um, strategy. <laughs> Uh, that's Mother's Day, actually. <laughs> um, leave me alone. Give me a cheesecake. Uh, no, but I was just thinking. I was like, I got to get uh, get my construction paper out and, and make some hearts or something with my boy. We haven't done any. We didn't do anything last year. So I'm going to get my craftiness on and see what we come up with. I mean, just remember, you have my mailing address. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, before we get too much, I want to share some love for this middle main event to use that transition I mean, let's on Saturday, USC Vegas 47, we get one week off after having four weeks off. And I think people really freaked out about it. So they were back. Jack Hermanson taking on Sean Strickland. And I think the biggest or not the biggest, but the easiest way to describe this fight, very efficient. And I don't think that's what people expected. And you know, people have talked about this. Sean Strickland talks a lot during his fights. Not lately. A little bit. But outside of Uriah Hall, it, it really, you know, it's not like this is his go-to thing. And I think really you saw once again the conditioning, the durability of Hermanson. But I think that um, if you predicted, like I did, that the physicality of Sean Strickland would rule the day, you were on point. I think if anything... His ability to just get in and out and just keep that forward pressure on, Jack Hermanson just didn't have an answer. He didn't have the force behind his shots to really slow down Sean too much when he was coming forward. And he wasn't able to secure the takedown. He had a couple of good attempts. Sean was able to do his thing. Really, and I'm going to tell you something very interesting, Natalie. Because now we've seen recently... For example, Jack Hermanson did the wrestling with Hamza Chimaev. Mm -hmm. And you saw him in the cage against big middleweights like Sean, like Marvin Vittori. 
and I'll say this right now, he almost looks too lean to make 170. But then I worry, is he undersized at 185, at least against these guys? And I want I want your opinion on that, because I feel like his recent losses, when I think about Jared Cannonier, you know, Vittori, now Sean, uh, Kelvin Gastelum is his, uh, I believe, his most recent victory. Or sorry, he also got Edmund Shabazian, but I feel like in the case of Kelvin, that's also what people would sometimes consider an undersized middleweight. What do you think of Jack at 185? Because as much as this was a Sean Strickland doing what he needed to, I almost felt like Jack was just at another disadvantage again. What about you? Honestly, dude, I hadn't thought of it. But as you mentioned, who you know the the opponents you lost, he lost to, and I'm picturing their sizes, Cannoneer especially. And then we think about Kelvin Gastelum, yeah, who had the issues making weight at 170 and was forced to move up to 185, and he's just shorter. You know, even if he can bulk up, you know, width-wise, he's still a little short for the division. And Shabazian, too, like he's lanky, skinny. So those opponents, you know, would line up more with where Jack Hermanson is size-wise versus Sean Strickland and Jerry Cannonier. So there could be something to it. And it's just one of those tricky things when you're, you know, not quite big enough for one division, a little too big for the other, and you kind of just have to, Pick a weight class and make your body work for you and, you know, figure out ways to win. So, yeah, there's something to that for sure. It was an interesting fight. Sean Strickland, I appreciated at the end there at the post fight, I think, or in an interview somewhere. He said, like, I, I you know, I kind of didn't go for it. Uh, I could have done something better and I didn't. And I was thinking the same thing because his boxing is so smooth and he just fights with such an ease. That it seemed like there was definitely opportunities there for him to to show more of his skills against Hermanson, but he didn't. Nonetheless, still you know, still dominating. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that he fought that way, and that you know he was honest enough to say he didn't really go in for the kill when he should have. So I'm not sure what that's about, right? Because there was pressure here with this fight to make a name for yourself. Uh, to to be able to queue up uh, for the next title shot, depending on who wins uh, Saturday. Um, this kind of makes me think of like Cyril Gaon when he fought hey, Volkov. I can't remember who it was. And it was supposed to be another one of those like determining fights. And his performance was was just point point based. You know, he was just trying to, to outpoint Volkov. And he ended up getting, you know, we, we know what happened. He ended up getting his his interim shot. He won, and then he and then he won again. But or I'm sorry, then he didn't win again. And then he got the title shot uh, against Nganu. But it's just like that worked out for Sirogan, even though that performance that was supposed to be the one to put him in the in the number one slot, you know, wasn't good enough. What's going to happen with Sean Strickland? Eh, it probably doesn't hurt him because he has an engaging personality, and you know. I think the UFC likes that. So this performance was a good enough win, I think, to get him in that conversation. And we'll see what happens on Saturday. But uh, I would have liked to have seen more at the end of the at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that um, even strictly and look, I mean, credit to him. I mean, look, I've said it. Jack Hermanson doesn't get the credit he does, and it felt like Strickland didn't really have to get much further than second or third gear ever in the fight, even when Jack was trying to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And look, he acknowledged as much. He felt like he really didn't ever have to ramp it up. He was able to just get in his flow, and Jack really didn't have the 
answers he needed in there to make something happen or do something about it. Um, you brought that up. Obviously, we always ask, well, what could be next? Let's be honest. We have no idea until Saturday where we find out the results of not only Adesanya Whitaker, but uh, Brunson and Cannoneer. So most notably, I think if Derek Brunson wins, it doesn't matter who's in the main event. He's next. If Cannoneer gets the W, then that creates a situation where I do believe in Adesanya victory. They'll do Adesanya Cannoneer. But remember, Whitaker recently got Jared in 2020. So if you have a situation, it's Rob and it's Jared. I could see them doing a Strickland versus Rob next. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't even know how much it matters who are the fallouts from from these two fights on Saturday. Um, okay, I take that back. It does matter. It depends on the performance. So whoever wins from Brunson Cannonier, you know, it's it's it. However, the person who lost looked, was it a, a blowout? Was it a, a war? You know, that matters for who they get paired up with next. And so, you know, would Brunson get the loser of the, or Brunson or Kennedy get the loser of the title fight over someone like Strickland? Yeah, and, you know, MMA math, that makes sense. But we got to see how the fight plays out. And, and like, Jerry Kennedyer has you know, that knockout power Brunson does too, but sometimes we know how he can just hold you against the cage. And, you know, Dana White doesn't seem to like that too much. So it really depends how these guys fight each other, Kennedy and Brunson. Um, I guess if I'm Strickland, I pay just as much attention to that fight as I do to the main event. That's fair. Like I said, I think the only repeat that doesn't happen is Rob versus Cannonier. Everything else you could do Whitaker Brunson, you could do Adesanya Brunson. Um, like I said, Adesanya Cannoneer, but Rob Cannoneer is the only one recent enough that I don't think they'd have interest. In which case, then right there is where it's at for Sean. I did listen to him, and he did say that Marvin Vittori is his guy, they're friends, and that he'd have to get paid a ton of money to take that fight. I appreciated that. Um, I will say that it feels like that might be the only route for him in 2022. If, uh, for example, they were to, hypothetically, we have a trilogy situation, or if we are waiting on Brunson to get the title shot, that's going to be a long time for Strickland to wait. So, yeah. Is he in a bad spot? No, he's in a great position. I think that even in a worst-case scenario for him right now, he is no more than one fight away from locking in a title shot. It even could be against Brunson if we have a trilogy situation after Saturday. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but he's in a spot where he's no further than one away. And I think that when you're that close, it me it just means good news. Because it also could mean any number of things could happen, and you're getting a call for a title shot straight up, too. And I mm -hmm. think that's great. Um, talking about that undercard, uh, one of the more intriguing storylines that I liked was the rebooking of Treshawn Gore against Brian Battle. So if you don't remember... They Gore made the finals of Tough last year for Team Volk and Team Ortega, got injured, Brian Battle took on Gilbert Urbina, wins it, but then people are like, well, you know, did you really fight the second best guy or, you know, this was really to determine it. And really, I was impressed by Battle. I thought that he just looked in great shape. I thought 
If anything, I was actually a little surprised at how undersized Gore looked. I know that he's a more compact guy at the weight class, but I thought the battle's physicality, he really just took it to him. And yeah, you had the moment. Gore obviously is able to shut his eye. And then you had the funny moment with Bisping, which is completely just... I'm glad they didn't miss the opportunity. But yeah, I I really liked that storyline. I thought he sold that perfectly. He let people know, hey... I heard what you guys were all saying, and now I shut you guys all up. I am the real Ultimate Fighter champion, and I proved it tonight. And I was like, you know what? Bravo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting storyline. Like, these tough shows, these tough seasons bring out a lot of uh, more animosity uh, in opponents than you see, you know, regular uh, in regular fights with, with good reason, right? They're stuck together for a long time. And they don't have any other outlets in the house. And so it gets kind of, you know, you can, it's sort of like a, you know, a COVID quarantine. You can get really sick of someone or you can find out you really like somebody. So in this case, there was some beef here. I like the animosity that they brought with them, especially, you know, Brian Battle in between the rounds before they were separated and stuff. So that's fun. Uh, and yeah, it, it shuts the... It, it, it shuts all the folks up the questions about, you know, did you really earn the tough uh, ch- championship uh, wasn't a true battle well look you got you got the initial matchup here and he proved he proved everybody uh, right wrong I should say so I mean look that that's that's good for for Brian battle and tough you know tough's one of those where like I used to really be into it and it's a little bit trickier now to, to get my attention on a weekly basis because of you know it just being off the the big TV, you know, it used to be on uh, was it Spike, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the old days. Now you so got to cast it. <laughs> yeah, and I got to cast. I mean, I got the Roku. It's easy, but it's like there's already a bunch of other things. So uh, uh, I know we'll get into it later or pretty soon, but uh, I'm looking forward to what they're doing in the next season. We'll, we'll get there. I mean, uh, it's such a thing. I mean, look, it's still a great platform. I mean, I- I'm ready to see my dude Ricky Tercios come back. That dude's a quite interesting personality just made for the Ultimate Fighter. Um, there's there's a couple gems in there. But look, I mean, in, and even like uh, Dana White, you know, has kind of seen this. The Contender Series is a so much more efficient way to not only keep fans engaged, but also scout talent. That really, you know, Ultimate Fighter, only not all of those, and I guess respectfully, same with Contender Series, but really, at least Contender Series, it's such a big moment. You have teams with their respective camps. The Ultimate Fighter environment just creates for a different kind of testing i I almost feel like sometimes it's not the best gauge now look does it has it churned out some great dudes absolutely tony bisping rashad forrest there's plenty of champions and just great fighters who've come out of tough but i think you know when there's so many ways to evaluate people sometimes tough i think it, it like i said it's just about efficiency is it still some good fun and great personalities and guys and girls who bring it yeah for sure, and I know we're going to see that next season, but I think that when you talk about all the ways we could get MMA now, you know, suddenly you don't need your ultimate fighter fix like you did when we were in season 8, 9, and 10, and UFC events were only maybe twice a month. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think that's a great... I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. It still has its merits, but I think there's just so much more efficient way. And also, if you're a consumer, a fan, there's ways to get your MMA a lot quicker without having to, you know, however way you skin it, wait through the drama and the build-up just for what could be a quick fight. Or it could be... I've always said it. The fact that there's no commentary on the Ultimate Fighter fights sometimes takes me out of it, if I'm being quite honest with you. Well, you know, the only thing that helps keep me in it is that there's this built-up drama from, from them living in the house. But the the problem I have some uh, in some seasons is that, like, if the drama's not good enough, or and you know, you're just watching an episode where just it's just lagging on and on, and then they finally get to the fight at the very end, and then it's over. Then you gotta wait a whole other week, and you gotta wait for all the drama, the the you know the training, the the house antics, and then you get another fight at the end, and then you have to wait again. So it's it's that pacing that's just a little dated for me. Like it worked, you know, a few a few years ago, and it's earlier years for me. Now it it doesn't entertain me as much. I hadn't thought about the commentary. For me, it's just the the fact that you have to wait almost an hour to get to a fight, and then you got to wait another week. Oh yeah, it, not every it's not everybody's cup of tea, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, look, we'll talk about tough again in a second. I do want to finish us off. Uh, Chidi and Jaquani, fifteen, sixteen seconds gets him out of there. I mean, what do you think of that one? Because that was about as good as you need for a debut, and you know, he'd been doing his thing for a while. Uh, it was just a great performance. What do you think? Yeah, man, that's crazy. Like it's it's like those are the things that you are lucky enough to see every once in a while and you're like, okay, let's get this fight going. Let's see what's going to happen. Well, bam, and it's over. It's like, okay, that was great. Uh, you know, the one of those where it's so short they can replay it for you in full, the full fight as part of the replay. Like the replay is just the whole fight over again. <laughs> so uh, I like those. Yeah, I mean, good for him. Good for Chidi. Also a cool name. Um, yeah, those are just the, the little perks of being an MMA fan. No, for sure. So great performance. Uh, solid night, especially considering that it was just awkwardly sandwiched between two pay-per-views. You know, it sometimes feels like we're not even looking forward to it. We're already looking ahead. You know, look, there's some good stuff in there. And now, you know, let's get back to it. MMA news. I think the biggest one is the confirmation that uh, Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena will be coaching The Ultimate Fighter Season 30. And they've confirmed that they will be having a rematch and that it will be once again for the 135-pound title. So there's, you know, Pena isn't going to try to go up to take the second belt. They're going to compete for the same title, which means no matter what, Amanda Nunes is still going to be the reigning UFC champion. And yeah, some tidbits. The two are going to be coaching heavyweights and women's flyweights. They're set to enter the house very soon, and then the season will begin airing in May. I believe, I didn't write it down, I believe it's May 3rd. But yeah, um, some of the other things, Juliana noted that she does want to go on to get a second belt. And I don't know if she misspoke and meant like she wants to defend this belt. Like, you know how in the old days they wouldn't add the ruby, they'd actually give you a new belt to take home? Yeah. Mm Or if she means that she's planning to try to drop down to flyweight, which, okay, here we go. But, um, yeah, you know, she did mention she's motivated. Obviously, she's got a different kind of swag since defeating Amanda. 
And then Amanda cleared up the air. She said, you know, for a fact, I have my own facility, just like you said, Natalie. It's for me to do my sparring and my training. But she did reveal, I am able to go train an American top team. I can walk in anytime. Their doors are still open. We we ended that good and we built we made history together. She made a point to really explain that, express that. So uh, you know what? I'm gonna talk about let's talk about that before we talk about a couple of the highlights in terms of the castmates. Um what do you think of this? Because I think if anything, the contrast of personalities now, even though we're only about a month or so removed from the first fight. The way Pena just, like I said, she has a swagger to her. She's doing the Ellen show with Mario Lopez because Ellen was not there. I'm not, I'm not sure why. <laughs> she's um, kind of not there a lot these days. She's kind of, yeah, something, right? Yeah. But look, I mean, she is, uh, look, she's going out there saying, I got you and I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And Amanda, I'll say it. She's really made me a believer that she wasn't all there in the first fight. And that makes me think, well, if Amanda, look, we got the, you know, the house cat, not the lioness. Mm -hmm. And if she's making me feel like Pena got the house cat in December, if the lioness comes back, holy guacamole, you know what I mean? I mean, what do you think about this as we head into it? Uh, I'm excited for the rematch. I'm curious about how the tough season's going to go because, you know, talking about Nunez, I'm sorry, Pena and her mic skills, like, they're better than, than uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Colby? Covington, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. They're better than Colby's. Um, but, she, you know, she gets stuck on her, uh, on, her, in her, on her words a little bit sometimes, too. She fumbles a little bit, and that kind of makes for some cringe. But, okay, like, it takes a lot of work to be good on the mic when you're going to be talking, talking smack. So... What I think she's going to try to do is get under Nunez's skin on the show. And Nunez isn't really going to bite. And so it could make for some awkward moments, some awkward interactions. But okay, that's fine. Uh, as far as the, you know, the, the Nunez, Amanda Nunez moving to her own private gym, it totally makes sense, right? Like, just, like I said, just from the videos I see of ATT, it's always jam-packed, super crowded. And she has her kid with Nina. I think they probably just want a space that's a little bit more relaxed for the the convergence of, you know, MMA and family life. So if it's their own gym, they don't have to worry about staying in a tiny little corner with their kid or, you know, Nina or whoever's watching the kid at the time. To, you know, you want to keep the kid away from all the action. You don't want them to get hurt. You don't want them to hurt anybody else. And that's tricky, dude. Like, especially as she's getting older, she's going to want to start crawling and you don't want to keep the kid trapped in a stroller or a tiny little corner of a giant gym. So if they have their own space, they can they can arrange you know rooms however they need. I really think that's what it comes down to: is that ATT is too crowded. They have a different life now, and they need space to be able to do everything at the gym with their family and stuff. So so I'm glad to hear she's still going to go to ATT and, and can go whenever she wants. Uh, it seems like the smart move as far as. You know, how was Nunez's performance against Pena? Yeah, I 100% was like, that is not the Amanda Nunez we've seen destroy all the other opponents she's faced. She was checked out, like she said. She was just, she just, you know, like you get burned out. Robert, Robert Whitaker had the same thing happen to him in his first meetup with uh, Israel Adesanya. So 
I think Nunes is going to burn through Pena in their rematch, but we'll get into that as uh, as we get closer to the date. Uh, come on, Natalie. We've got like probably six months before we could have those talks. You're jumping the gun too much. Because I know it's going to happen. I know, but you got to slow it down. Pena's going to piss her off. Nunes already is, wants revenge just for losing. But Pena's going to piss her off, and Nunez is going to make her pay. Okay, here we go. See, now i got to sit on that air when they announce <laughs> it. Oh, what do you think of the fight, Natalie? <laughs> no, I know they're going to do 4th of July undercard <laughs> to Kamaru and Leon Edwards, it looks like. I mean, come on. Just wait. We know what you're no. thinking. No. No, but um, look, uh, in terms of the facility, here's what I want to bring up before we uh, move on. Uh, I will say that if for Nunez, obviously, she no matter who she goes out there with, if she goes and just handles business quick, like a lot of people expected in the first fight, then it's going to seem like, oh, it was really a whole Nunez problem. If this fight goes long and she loses, I feel like now we're going to start talking about was leaving that core of Mike Brown and the team or all the other supplementary characters that maybe don't get their shine like Mike was that now an issue? Because not to say that her other coaches now are, you know, some way inferior. Look, everyone has to do what's best for them. But I do wonder if she loses, will the conversation be now, is it about you or was it about the team you decided? Like, did becoming the captain of your own ship affect you now in the rematch if mm -hmm. it wasn't a physical thing? That's going to only be proven after the fact. But you know that that's going to be a question after leaving Mike Brown and all of them. And it was only a physical issue. Then you know, was this a good move? And I, th once again, we're not going to know that for sure. It could be that Amanda being the captain of her own ship is still so much better than X amount of Bantamweights and Featherweights out there. But you don't know that until you see it. There's a reason American Top Team, even though it's so big and so crowded, people keep going there. It's because they get results. And yeah. I think that you can't, you, you just can't knock that, no matter, even if you are Amanda. Um, talking about the season, I think the two biggest ones that stood out, to me anyway, uh, Bobby Maximus. So he was actually a part of The Ultimate Fighter 2. He has not fought since 2009, which is coming up on about 13 years. I don't remember the exact month he fought. And he is currently 43 years old. So, you know, I, I can say these are not the days of who is the youngest top prospect in the sport that's not signed. This is a, I feel like a casting decision was made. You get what I mean? Well, yeah, except, I mean, he must have done something good in his audition or his tryout, right, to get to get into this, uh, into the house. He, he can't, I mean, what's the benefit of putting this guy on the show if he totally sucks? The redemption story. Uh, you think just for that? What happened knew, in 2009? Oh, no, no, sorry. What happened on top two? <laughs> I, could tell you he, I could tell you he didn't win it. <laughs> well, he didn't win it. Okay, but what was redemption? Was it just like a regular loss? Was he so close? Like, I don't know anything about this gentleman. 43 we'll is old, it. but for heavyweights, okay, right? It's a yep. little, not as bad, but I'm telling you, man, he had to have done something amazing at the audition, at the tryouts because... Even even you saying redemption story, that's not enough. Come on. Or were they really that that low on 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 you know fighters to choose from? Was the pool that small? I mean, uh, I'll say this. I 
I would hope, you know, his episode, you know, it's always two people get their own episode, right? To build up yeah, to the yeah. fight. I hope it, you know, it's going to be like, oh, he's back and he's this and he's that. And this is what's against him. This might be his last hurrah, his last dance. I really hope that doesn't last just one episode. You get what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sorry, yeah. but I hope they also don't try to Kimbo slice it. Every episode is like, oh, is someone hurt? Could he come back? Could he fill in? It's like, please don't do that to me. I, and I've said this many times on the air over the years. That is the one time I drank the Kool-Aid when Kimbo Slice's season was airing. And I swear every week it was like somebody, like anytime someone had any kind of just uh, bruise or bump of any kind and they paused, they caught it on camera and it's like, oh, is this when Kimbo might have a chance to slide back in? <laughs> and I freaking fell for it. I was legit like, <laughs> I really think they're good. And no, they never did. I drank the Kool-Aid, but um, um that I I regress. That's uh the days of old of Ultimate Fighter. Uh, <laughs> I want to highlight this next fighter before we move on to talk about um some of the other stuff going on. Juliana Miller. Uh, the youngest member of the Ultimate Fighter cast coming up on this season fights out of 10th Planet San Diego with uh, Alima McFarlane and Liz Carmuch, who are there a long time. And uh, yeah, uh, known Juliana since she was an amateur uh, several years ago. Actually, before I was doing a lot of that stuff that you guys see me doing at the press conferences and all that jazz, I was covering a lot of smaller shows amateur shows and i remember juliana and her uh I, I don't know if she was roommate or just a good friend and teammate tyler they were out there making their amateur debuts i think juliana at the time when i met her only had two or three and you know what just uh she's been at it a long time great ground game she's competed at ebi submission underground on fight pass she's done two fights for Invicta and I just want to let you guys know this girl been through it and back and will bring it every time in the cage I think you guys are going to learn a lot about her like I have and just um, if there's a must watch episode it's the one where she's going to be featured and as she keeps going just her consecutive episodes and I, I may or may not have heard she's also down to pull some pranks so keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. I like it. I'm excited. That's good. Yeah, she's a, you know, great girl. I encourage everybody, you know, don't sleep on this one just because they're the youngest. Uh, to talk about some of the other stuff going on, this one was very interesting. Max Holloway has been cleared to return to training, and he plans to be the backup for Korean Zombie and Volkanovski. So this was broken by ESPN last week, and you'll remember that at the time... The fight with Volk was going to happen on March 5th. They have now been pushed back a month to the April pay-per-view. So, however, a fight, a, a deal has already been finalized for Volk and the Zombie. Thoughts? <laughs> I, honestly, I'm just like, damn, Max Holloway is game, dude. He's he's telling the world, I, I want my belt back, and I'm gonna just. I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to get in that position as soon as possible to fight for it. Like you, this never happens. I mean, Max Holloway is a, like one of the, the, the great, you know, featherweight champions and he loses his belt to Volkanovsky. 
he doesn't get it. He he loses the the rematch. He he's like impressed tremendously in two fights since then against Calvin Cater and um, oh gosh, I can't remember the young gentleman from yeah, Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah, and uh, you know. Like it was the fight was just barely about to be confirmed, right? With Volkanovski, when it's like, oh, Max Holloway's injured. So this kind of came out of left field for me, but I really love it. I love the energy behind it. And look, you never know what can happen. Like, what I want to ask you though is this like a legit, like, is this Max Holloway just saying, hey, UFC, I'm ready? Or is he actually going to be there weighing in? Like, is he an official backup? Let me ask you a question. If you had to pick a backup and he was available, would you want anybody else? Heck no. That's exactly why I think it's a legit 100%. Now, look, I'm not going to lie. If I'm Max Holloway, I may uh, request a bit more financial help than maybe another fighter who has been a backup has gotten over the years or someone yeah. else of that, uh, you know, in that situation. I do – I'm going to just say it. This just felt like funny business. I – Zombie doesn't deserve this, but I feel like if Max Holloway goes out and does an interview saying, yes, I will be the backup, I almost feel like people will start hoping that Zombie can't make the fight just so they could get the Volk Max trilogy. Yep. And that's just wrong. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying, but I think or, people are definitely like, oh, can we throw our energy to the universe and to, you know, Zombie having to pull out for some reason? I mean, or like Volk pulls out so Max could fight Zombie oh. and... Oh, the real champ gets a piece of his belt back. And I'm like, no. I almost feel like UFC. Uh, clearly, the paperwork has been signed. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done the little infographic. And they're going to, they're already selling the tickets, telling you it's Vulcan Zombie and all yeah. that, you know. But it's like, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> it's just, it just feels like funny business. What can I say? But uh, look, I, I completely get it. Once again, yes, speaks to the gamesmanship of Max. Interesting. Uh, look, you don't. Vulcan Zombie is a completely good fight. But I almost feel, and to the point I'm about to make, if one of them were to pull out late in the game, I'm not sure it's a smart idea to suddenly say, yeah, I'll take Max. I mean, I, I would say, look, if you're game and obviously UFC wants you to the show must go on by all means you do you and be all you could be however <laughs> i would if i'm i'll just say it i wouldn't take a max holloway fight on less than full camp unless i had to because i know how big of a deal it is and how good he is yeah i mean if you're korean zombie he strikes me as the kind of man who would say yeah i'll take it but if you stop and think for a second you got to ask yourself okay I got this title shot that I wouldn't have gotten anytime soon because Max Holloway was um, was injured. Like, do I really want to give up my shot? And I was, you know, I was able to prepare for Volkanovski. Do I really want to throw that opportunity um, basically out the window just to fight Max to keep this card alive? That's a tough one. But you know what? Ultimately, I think Korean Zombie says yes. Volkanovski strikes me as the kind of guy who might say no. Um, but I think Zombie would be in for it. Would be up for it, I should say. Loki, I feel like Volkanovski is more likely to say yes and zombies say no, but <laughs> that's why we have different opinions. Yes, sir. But yeah, it's like, wait, are you sure? But um, no, all right, completely respect it. Uh, coming up in about two months, so 
whatever's gonna happen, uh, it's not gonna be the longest wait, relatively speaking. So there we are. Uh, there was a lot of little stuff. Uh, Jake Paul released a diss track. Kamaru Usman got hand surgery. Um, not anything necessarily breaking news, except the fact that it looks like Kamaru, like I said earlier in the show, it looks like they're really looking at a international fight week return for him. So that's a slight update in the welterweight division. Nothing new really breaking in terms of the MMA world. So, yeah. Do you have anything to add, Natalie, before we talk about the Tale of Two Kings? Uh, no, sir. Not at all. I'm good. Let's get to it. All right. Let's start from the bottom up because I want to build up to this really good uh, main event. Also, I think the co-main just has less technical breakdown than we'll need. <laughs> um, so let's Derek Lewis tie to Ivasa. Kind of short notice, and you know this move was specifically made because they ended their fights in December. First round, one week apart, and then obviously you know people were kind of, I'll say it, you know, look, we were so used to these mega cards, two championships, triple headers, that they felt, you know, fans made it known they want a little more bang for their buck, so they got the Black Beast back home. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, this is like... If the main event is calm and wise and cerebral Leonardo Ninja Turtle, then the co-main event is Michelangelo. You got the party animal who does shoeys from Australia, and you got the man who stands behind his beloved Popeye's chicken in the face of Daniel Cormier and Derek Lewis. Uh, I think it's just a very fun fight. I think that um, for Derek, it's obviously a bit of redemption. Can he kind of give that show and fight the way he wants to in front of those hometown fans who look, I know Adesanya's coming out and Whitaker's very beloved. I do not see a scenario where Derek Lewis does not get the biggest the biggest ovation. Yeah. There's just not. I mean like he I'm not saying he's the one they came here to see, but he is the one they came there to cheer on. Let's put it that way. And then with Tai Tuivasa, you have the very fact that he's on a nice win streak right now. I believe it's tied for the best of his UFC career. And this is that kind of victory. You're not just, uh, you know, oh, the fans really love to see him. We're talking about title contender. We're talking about top three, top four opponent to get you to a title shot if you beat a guy like Derek Lewis. So there's a lot on the line for both men. What are your thoughts? Oh, boy. So... What we're going to see, I think, in this fight is two knockout heavyweights who are just riding high. You know, Derek has that that win over um, Chris Dacus. Tai Tuivasa, as you pointed out, four wins in a row since, what, uh, October 2020? Yep. Against good names. Like, the shoey, you know, the shoey thing is it couldn't get more, couldn't be more, uh, you know, on people's minds and more popular. This guy after his win against, um, excuse me, Augusto Sakai, like, and then, you know, remember someone poured hot sauce in his, in his, in his shoe. Oh, yeah. his it was like this whole thing. All I'm saying is that, you know, it's everyone wants to always wants to see him win because you want to see the shoey. Okay, great. But now we're in Houston. Redemption, of course, that's the word of, of the uh, of the of the hour for Derek Lewis. He was really put off by fighting in Houston on a main event with title, uh, you know, interim belt on the line. He said he would never do it again. 
I think he meant like fighting for the belt, being a main event in Houston, because obviously he's back. And this is going to be like, you know, Derek Lewis is a really funny, lighthearted dude, but he also takes things very seriously, takes losses to heart. And he'll tell you right on the mic, right? Oh, I fought terribly. He just he just wears his heart on his on his glove, if you will. So he's not going to want to lose in Houston again. And because of that, even though Tai Tuivasa is riding high and looks better than ever, um, I think Derek Lewis is going to come out and do Black Beast on him and and finish Tai Tuivasa in round one. Because what I think is going to happen is I think these two dudes are just going to come out swinging. I think anyone's going to try to to find their range, to circle around, to figure things out. Nah, bro. I think they're going to come out swinging. Derek Lewis is going to get get his his uh, his fist to land first against Tai Tuivasa, and I, I'm calling a Derek Lewis knockout round one in Houston. Redemption achieved. Oh boy. See, I I completely see that scenario. I think for me the biggest thing is uh, Derek Lewis. You have to pick. Your- if you didn't hear that, that's my phone falling sadly. <laughs> but um, you got to rush in and out. You got to pick your moments to do it because uh, the thing both of these men do arguably better than that entire division is create openings and find them with their fists when they're cre- when they're in those pocket exchanges. When guys are sitting down to throw with them, their hands aren't protecting their chin. They're not moving side to side. They're trying to plant themselves to stop that onslaught. That's where those guys shine because they are so big and so powerful and so durable that they're able to catch those guys in those moments. And it becomes this highlight that we really love to watch. Derek, you know, he knows, you know, he's not probably going to use as many kicks. I think that Ty is going to be the one to use more of his complete arsenal. I think that what it's going to come down to is who is better at getting in and out, who is more effective. I think that's the man that's going to give themselves their best chance. Because this could be a matter of whoever lands first. It really doesn't matter what they do. If they're within the first five minutes, really there's no way to pick who it may or may not be. I completely respect that analysis. But for my money, and I don't know, I'm going to just say it. This is a heart pick just because it feels like technical breakdown won't be necessary. I've been feeling tied to Ivasa, Natalie. I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like he's just hitting his stride. I think he's got yeah. it. I think he's going to be the one to get it done. So my prediction, Mr. Tuivasa, I'm going to go the first round knockout too. Okay. I would love to see it for Derek, but for some reason, uh, the vibe I'm just getting from Ty, uh, I'm just feeling it right now. And I think that he is just as dangerous to get you out of there with one shot as Derek. He is indeed, and he's definitely in his stride. Like, the confidence is high. Remember, we had those three losses in a row, and it was just like, oh, man, are we going to – was that just the end of Tai Tuivasa? You know, are we going to be able to see him come back? And he did. The swagger, the just the fun, walkout music, all that stuff. I mean, there's definitely something to it. He's he's coming up, and Derek Lewis might be uh, – he's had a lot of chances to come up, right? He's gotten to the to the title shot twice now. And uh, could he be plateauing? We don't know. But I, I like I like where you're going, Tai Tuivasa, but I'm sticking with my man from Houston, Derek Lewis. Oh, I would have it no other way, to be <laughs> honest with you. 
Um, we'll talk about it, obviously, next week's show, but big title implications, because if deals can't get done with one guy or two, and you know, possibly, we could yeah. be talking about the winner on Saturday taking on, you know, someone big for a possible interim title. But that's oh a story goodness. for another day. Yes, sir. Uh, let's talk about this beautiful main event that we have. Um, what I like about this, uh, it's like game of thrones without the dragons i mean you've got this loud boisterous king untouched in his kingdom of 185 pounds then you've got this reserved former king he lost his throne to his rival but now he's cut through the battlefield and now once again they are facing each other across from the plain that is what i think of this main event between whitaker and arsania natalie it's just beautiful stuff um Look, Adesanya, still undefeated at middleweight, only hiccup came to Jan Blahovich, came back, routed Marvin Vittori the same year. Whitaker, since lo- losing to Adesanya, routed Till, routed Cannoneer, routed Kelvin Gastelum. Um, he is reestablished. I-, I feel confident no matter what happens, there is no denying that they are the number one and two middleweights in the world. That's including guys like Gegard Mousasi, that's including guys like Vittori, who is on a run, like Strickland. These are the top number one and two guys. And the way they've been fighting lately, you could make the argument it's not even close. What are your thoughts on this one? What do you mean it's not even close? Uh... Like no one's even close to being like, oh, it's like the top two. And like there's still like a whole tier between them and everyone three yes, through yes, ten. Yes, yes, of course. It's like Shevchenko in her division, and you know before Nunes lost. Yeah, it's yeah. like if there were two Shevchenko, two Valentina <laughs> Shevchenkos. Yes, two Valentina Shevchenkos, right? Specifically. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Antonina. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yes, I agree with that. Um, I was watching the Embeddeds. Uh, one and two are the ones that are out, I think, so far. Episode one, Robert Whitaker. He's just in a gym, in the gym. I don't know what gym. I think he's in Houston. He got to Houston early. He's in his gym, in the gym, working out, hitting pads. And he just looks so relaxed, so at ease, super chill. And the way he was talking, it started my wheel spinning. You know, I thought, this guy, it's sort of like when you go on a job interview that you don't really care about and you do really well because you're you're not stressed out or invested and, like, desperate to get the job. It's happened to me. Uh, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but I've definitely, that's how I ended up working at Disneyland for many years. <laughs> um, oh, I got to hear that story, yeah. <laughs> but continue. And anyway, um, that's how I was, that's how I, I saw Robert Whitaker. It's just someone who's like, he's just in a, in a, in a, at a, in a mindset where, you know, he just wants to do the best that he can do. And he even said, I just want to be the best Robert Whitaker I can. I, I'm not, you know, I know, I know Ezreal Asanya. He's a tough opponent. This is going to be a challenge, but I, he, he's not stressed out and obsessed with getting his belt back. That's not the feeling I got from just hearing him talk and watching him train. So that really makes me think that this fight, I don't know what the odds are, but I, I you know, before hearing that, I would have thought Israel Adesanya is just going to do what he did again. Now, I, I don't forget that Robert Whitaker was burned out when he fought Adesanya. He'd been through a lot so much with with you know the winning the belt getting injured having to recover all kinds of crazy things he was burned out he wasn't himself sort of like Nunez when she fought Pena it happens man like it's not an excuse it's just a reality you're at the top of your game for a long time 
you, you can't do that without taking a break. So, so Robert Whitaker got his break. He's come back. He's done great things against three tough opponents. I think he's in a place where he's going to be able to just fight and fight. Even if that means fighting all five rounds, he's just going to fight and not quit. He has so much heart, so much grit. You know, are we going to see a, a Robert Whitaker that's much different than the one we've seen in the last three fights? I don't think so. I mean, he's still super fast. He's still a little bit awkward in his movement, which is good because you're fighting someone like Israel Adesanya, who's a slick kickboxer, but he has some unorthodox movement too. So that makes for a really interesting fight. I think he's really sharp. The experience of being in there and losing to Adesanya, I think, is very beneficial uh, for your ego, for your confidence in some ways. And, uh, you know, Israel Adesanya, I expect him to sort of be the Izzy we've always known at 185, to do the same things. I'm not saying he's not improved, but I'm not expecting to see much different from the slick, you know, uh, Matrix-like movement that we see from Izzy But in the past. I'm expecting the same. For Robert Whitaker, I'm going to think, I think he's going to be a little bit faster. He's going to move a little bit better side to side, and he is not going to quit. Absolutely not going to quit. So it's going to be a heck of a fight. I'll toss it back to you for the for the masterful breakdown I know you've got coming our way. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> um, no, uh, once again, yeah, I mean, I think you broke it down just where the two are at and possibly going in mentally. Uh, I think to me, the biggest thing is that even though Whitaker, you could make a note about mental mind, there's just the mindset going in. I think that you're not going to necessarily, even if it goes his way, even if it is uh, this or that, it's not because it's going, it's a big change, like, oh, he's become this dramatically better, different fighter. I think a large part of Whitaker's recent success is just a lot of the choices that he's made. Not that he hasn't improved, but I think it's what decisions he makes in there about how he approaches a guy like Adesanya. Because I think that Whitaker, recently especially, his ability to get in and out. He's a very big, very built, kind of like an NFL player. Just he could really get through you if he had to. Remember, he stood up to the physicality of Yoel Romero mm-hmm. um, when he when Yoel was on a tear. Whitaker has that ability, but I think it's the fact that he leaves fewer openings. He gets in and out well. He attacks with kicks. He attacks with his uh, hands. He mixes it up to the body, to the head. All of that's there. He could choose to get in and out. He could choose to try to pressure Adesanya a little bit and kind of go to the well again, maybe just be a little more mindful of the openings he leaves. He could do that too, because a lot of people would still say, how do you get to Adesanya? You pressure him. Okay, is he going to try to wrestle? Probably got to think that that's going to enter the equation at some point. I don't know when. I do feel this is another fight, the best the one who is controlling the striking will be able to dictate if they want to take it to the mat. So if Whitaker's there, I do believe he could get there. That's not to sleep on Israel Adesanya. His ability to... He doesn't have to get as far out of the way when he's slipping strikes because his ability to control the distance is probably the best in the UFC right now. I think when you put all the things together and you look at his strength of schedule... It's hard to say he just doesn't have the magic. He does. I think what it really comes down to is the shot selection and the volume. I think that if he is executing an effective game plan, what's happening is he's touching Rob and he's getting out of the way and he's making sure he lands enough shots to stay ahead in the rounds. 
Could he create that opening and do damage and get him out of there again? Absolutely. But assuming that he's not just going out there and knocking him out, I think that an effective Adesanya is because he's landing a lot and he's moving a lot. I think that's the only way you beat a guy like Robert Whitaker if you're Adesanya. You just got to make sure you're not in one place for him to start doing his thing. And you just got to keep throwing enough shots that he doesn't settle into anything and get ahead of you on the scorecard. So very tough, very competitive fight. A lot of beautiful offensive weapons from both sides that you really know you're going to enjoy some very high-level mixed martial arts. And rightfully so. This is one of those pick-em fights for good reason. The first one was expected to be really competitive. Same thing is predicted out of the second one. So I'm going to toss it to you, Natalie. I'm going to give you the honors. Who ultimately (laughs) takes this fight? Well, I like what you have to say. I think um, I'm... I'm still uh, believing that Robert Whitaker is going to just keep fighting till the very end, and he's going to be able to land a lot of hard shots throughout the fight. And I think it's going to take him all the way to five rounds. He's going to be able to avoid getting really hurt because, you know, you know they're both going to be exchanging. Uh, I think it's going to be a unanimous decision win for Robert Whitaker. He's going to get the belt back. Is this a tough fight? Like, is he going to be losing rounds and really go through the fire? Or do you think that it's just going to be a more or less one-way traffic? No, not one-way traffic. Not at all. I think they're going back and forth. I'm thinking, you know, Adesanya, Gastelum. You know, where the fifth round, everything's on the line. And whoever can dig deeper is going to get it. And I think in this instance, in this instance, excuse me, it's going to be uh, Mr. Robert Whitaker. Very fair. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, when I look at an Adesanya victory, I, I don't see it being easy in any way unless he really, um, and, and look, he's got the acumen. He could find a small window and just like a sniper, like we've seen him in the past, get it done. But when I think about the Whitaker who has done what he has, I'm not saying it's easy. I do think Adesanya's got all the abilities to once again really test him. The best Adesanya and the best Whitaker is just beautiful MMA. But I'm actually with you, too. I, I'm feeling Rob. I think that it's just going to come down to him using a bigger arsenal. He's going to get in and he's going to try to chop at those legs. He's going to mm-hmm. work the body. He's not going to worry about how much can I stay in his face. He's just going to worry about wherever he can beat him up and land shots. That's just what he's going to focus on. And I think that that's a great strategy. Once again... You don't sleep on a guy like Adesanya, but I'm with you there. I actually think Rob will be able to gut this one out, too, in a competitive one. Uh, I'll go unanimous decision, too. Oh, right on. So there we go. We are are in accordance. But, yeah, um, there'll be plenty of good stuff to break down, I feel, from that card. Obviously, they got a lot of little stuff going on on the undercard. Um. And now, uh, yeah, I mean, next week, the okay, so we talked about Leonardo and Michelangelo. I <laughs> mean, there's no Donatello, but we have the Battle of Raphael's. Rafael <laughs> dos Anjos and Rafael Pazive oh. uh, next Saturday. Outside the fact that they get bragging rights on the name, uh, what are your thoughts going into this one? Dude, I really like Pazive. You know, I've, I don't know how, many, how long he's been in the UFC. I've seen him fight a few times and always been super impressed. He's, uh, I don't say robotic, but there's something very, like, menacing, Terminator-like about his fight style. 
Uh, but when he kicks you, man, he's kicking you with all he's got. So I'm excited to see how that, how he performs. RDA, I haven't looked it up. I don't remember when is the last time he fought. It's been a while. He's not getting any younger. I think since 19 or 20. I think it was 2020, Paul Felder. Okay. Oh, damn. Okay. So this is kind of just like what what version of RDA are we going to see now? Um, he's always surprisingly spry for his age. You know, even as he gets older, he still looks really good. His physique and all that good stuff. But Fazeev's no joke. So I'm kind of expecting this to be the moment. Like, this is kind of like a, you know, they set up these gatekeeper fights and you can kind of look at them and sometimes say, well, you know, the the gatekeeper is too good still. But in this case, I don't know. And so this could be one of those moments that, that launches Fazeev into the next, you know, level. I, I hate to say it, but I think that uh, this is another example. I mean, Dana White has said, yeah, if you beat RDA, you're ready for the next level. And I mean, we've, I feel like not for nothing, but Tony Ferguson, I believe, beat RDA. He was in a title fight. Mm-hmm. Kamaru, uh, Usman, Colby Covington. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, come on, stop doing that. Islam <laughs> Mahachev has been scheduled against him like three times. I mean, it's like, ay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Look, he's a very solid contender. Obviously, Fazeev, like you said, he's another um, guy who's on a run and he's putting it together very nicely right now. And yeah, you know, um, everything you said, I think that this one is very big about the future for both of them. If you're RDA, you want to show that your time is not yet done, you know, here in the that title picture. If you're Fazeev, you want to show your time is now and you're ready to make a splash in 2022. So I think we're going to get good stuff in the fight. Um, who wins, who loses? You're going to have to tune in next week. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. We will be back next week to break down the action, to talk about the latest in the news. So until then, have a good one. We'll see you next time.